All right. This recording is for all you who missed Sunday school today. I'm going to pray for you. You probably need it. All right. Okay. Acts. Is that hateful? Whoa, wait a minute now. We've been having discussions. Is that hateful? I don't think that's. I don't think that's hateful. Do you know? Let me just. I, I just want to thank y'all for being here. Do you know how long? You know. I mean, I know that I'm awesome. But do you know how long that it takes me to prepare these lessons? Uh, no. Huh? Oh no. I No. No, it takes Evidently I don't. I mean the people at the hospital is gonna be shocked. What yeah, the, the lights are still burning, so evidently I paid the bills and did the budgets. And the, Did y'all receive your tax information for... From what? Yes, you did. For what? For tithing all year. Get your tax thing in the mail? Oh, oh, okay. Well, that... Yeah. Tax. Yeah, not a tax. The tax... Oh, okay. Well, somebody... Some imaginary person must have put all that together. I don't know who did that. Brother, it just oh because goodness. she said I don't do nothing, she said I don't do nothing all week. She married you. She's allowed to say she wants to, but you're being sarcastic to everybody. No, I'm not. Sarcasm is my spiritual gift. Okay. Okay. No, it takes about 15 or 20 hours for me to get all just to be prepared. I think. No, I, it really, I mean, and I'm not complaining. I enjoy doing it. So I also enjoy, and I also want to thank y'all for being here and contributing to the discussion. I don't want to just stand up here and give y'all a lecture. That's no fun for me. So, hey, Tammy. <coughs> How are you? Good, you? I'm so glad you're here. See, that wasn't sarcastic to her. Was that sarcastic? I can't win for losing. I might always keep my mouth shut. Your heart when you said that. I said I was in. I'm pointing her out by saying that. Hi, Tammy. It's good to see you. I'm genuinely glad that she was here. I'll lay back up your heart. Danny, stay off my side. He said, I believe it. I believe it came from your heart. <laughs> okay. All kidding aside, I really am just kidding. Yeah, you are. No, I really am. But he really does. No, don't, don't, don't make up for it now. You done jumped in the deal. Yeah. No, 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 no. That, yeah. Huh? My frothy coffee. I fix good coffee. Good? Yeah. All right. Oh, okay. Acts chapter 4. 
Uh, are we in Acts chapter 4? Yes. Yeah, okay. Woo, that was it. What? What? Hi, Cecily. How are you? Was that better? They're saying I'm sarcastic. I'm being too sarcastic this morning. See? Ah, look at there. Cecily said... Not that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really but that's uh, when you, you know we love you enough to be one honest with you too or family, so you just have to deal. Okay. Oh, I don't mind. I'm, I am kind of sarcastic. That's uh-huh. my charm. Well, Harper's feeling for you. She just said, did y'all hurt his feelings this morning when they ugly to Jason? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they have been ugly to me. Not... Not all of them as a group, but Dana especially was ugly to me. Huh? I have it on. I have it on a recording. That I'll I'll probably erase that whole. So you under bus? You the one threw me under bus first? Oh no! Well, I spend Monday and Tuesday at the hospital. And you work on I spend Wednesday at the church. I spend Wednesday at the church. Okay? I spend Thursday and Friday and most of Saturday working on sermon, Sunday school lesson, youth lesson so tonight. So, what do you do at home? What do you mean? I do, I'll do all that at home. No, what is your chores that you do at home? I own the house. I don't have chores. <laughs> Any other questions? Any other questions? That's why we had kids. I'm with you. Hey, I'm all for it. We'll put them to work. No, I'm good. I ain't shamed neither. Joe, when it's summertime, I cut the grass and I do that stuff. When it's wintertime, I watch TV. Huh? What's a sweeper? No, he didn't always do it, but he is super nervous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but he is not. This is not that kind of Sunday school class. Yeah, what? That's right. We are not talking about housekeeping during Sunday school. All right. Curtis keeps his truck clean. Curtis keeps his truck clean. I don't keep no truck clean. Yeah, but you don't live in the Curtis. All right, Acts chapter 4. Did you get the tax thing here from the church? There you go. See? I sent them out. I sent them out early January, so if you hadn't got it, you need to be... You need to be... You need to be hollering at me, and I will print you another one. Print you another one. Okay, Acts chapter 4. Um, and... Let me say this too. In all seriousness, no kidding, no sarcastic. This deal is, it's, imp- it's important to me to understand not just, 
I mean, it's important to take a verse and say, okay, let's talk about this verse and let's learn this verse. But it's important to me as I study the Bible for my own benefit and hopefully for yours as well, for us to understand how the the books flow together, how the story weaves together, how the teaching weaves together. I mean, you don't pick up a book. I don't know how many of y'all read just regular books, but you don't pick up a book and just open it midway and start reading and then close it and then open it three-fourths of the way. You read it from beginning to end. You get the flow, what the author's trying to say. And, what, and so, for me, when if, if I seem a little whatever, sarcastic, whatever, it's because I think that you're missing out when, I mean, sometimes you can't be here. I got it. You know, if you look around, everybody's here. We was just, we were talking about there was nobody here at the very beginning, just a few, few people. But uh, when you miss, and I understand that there are times when you can't help it. I mean, I'm not an idiot. I know that people sick, people have stuff going on, vacation, whatever. Uh, you miss a section of the flow of the book. You see what I mean? And each, Luke put these in here to demonstrate different things and show you how it works together. And so when you miss that, that's why I'm recording them and I put them on the internet because I don't want anybody to miss, have a block missing in their understanding of how, yeah, does that make sense? So when I'm encouraging to be here, it's not just because I'm a big butt, you know. I mean, I am a big butt, but that's not the reason why I'm a big butt. Okay. All right, Acts chapter 4. Uh, what's going on? Acts chapter 4 is tied in with Acts chapter 3. What happened in Acts chapter 3 that was important? That's right. We're still talking about the healing of the lame man. Now the, the, uh, <clears throat> the apostles, John and Peter, are about to, uh, they're about to get arrested for this, for healing and for teaching. And what is, I'll give you the overview real quick. What's so amazing to me... And I've learned a lot just in the time that we've spent in Acts uh, is that Peter is going to preach the same sermon to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, which was the high council. He's going to preach the same sermon to them that he preached twice earlier. He preached one at Pentecost. You remember what he said? The whole meat of the sermon was, you guys killed the Messiah. God raised the Messiah. Now you need to repent. You know, and so he went to the temple. He healed the lame man. All the people came to him. They said, "You know what happened? How this going?" And he preached the same sermon to them. You guys killed the Messiah. God raised him from the dead. You need to repent. And he's going to do the exact same thing. I mean, it's almost you could probably take it and look. It's the same exact sermon. You killed the Messiah. God raised him from the dead, and now you need to repent. He's going to say say the exact same thing to them. Okay, so what we're going to see is we're going to see the power of unbelief here, how strong it is. But we're also going to see the, pow- see the power of the gospel. What happened when he preached those other two sermons? What was the response of people? Yeah, thousands, thousands. The first time it was 3,000 saved, second time 5,000 saved. What we're going to see here is he's going to preach the same sermon. It's going to say he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to preach it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And nobody's going to get saved. And it's going to be because of the, the power of their unbelief. They want to hold on to their position. Uh, they want to hold on to their power. They want to hold on to their authority and their riches more than they want to accept the truth. It's even going to say, uh, as we close today, it's going to say at the very end of this section that they could not deny what Peter said. They couldn't deny the miracle that he did. But instead of trusting, they said, 
even though they couldn't deny it and they couldn't refute it, they said, just don't preach anymore in his name. We don't want to hear it no more. And so we see the power of unbelief in people's hearts. I mean, it's, it's, it's scary. Anyway, <clears throat> verse 1 and 2 says, And they spoke unto the people. Remember, they're still preaching. Uh, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came unto them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were upset about it. What we're going to see here, this is the first persecution of the church. That the, the religious leaders came and basically going to arrest them. And they laid hands upon them and they put them in hold until the next day. It means they arrested them. Uh, for now it was eventide. That means it was evening. They couldn't. It was, it was illegal for the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is like the ruling council. That's the highest court in Jerusalem. You know, under the, the, the Romans were the highest deal, you know, but they let the Jews kind of just rule themselves as long as they didn't cause any uh, fuss or anything. And the highest court, the highest, uh, the highest you could go on the Jewish ladder was the Sanhedrin, made up of 70, uh, usually arist- aristocratic people, rich people, Pharisees, priests, uh, you know, high, high-ranking families, all these kind of things. And so they were, they, it was illegal for them to convene the Sanhedrin and to have a trial at night, which they broke just months earlier when they had Jesus' trial at night. Okay, so instead of breaking the law and having a trial at night, they just put them in jail. And they said, y'all are going to wait here, you know, in, in jail uh, till tomorrow. Now, what does that tell you? How long did they preach? What time did they heal the lame man? Three o'clock. It was three o'clock, wasn't it? It was the hour of, hour of prayer. It was the what is it, ninth hour? Mm-hmm. Three o'clock, yeah. So now it was, they shut the doors of the temple at six o'clock. They had been preaching for three hours. Could you sit through a sermon? Could you sit through a sermon for three hours? Without no pew on the ground. No cheese, no. Thank yes. Hi, Valerie. Valerie's here, everyone. Okay. Was that sarcastic? Yes. All right. I'm gonna have to work on that. All right. So they put him in jail. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed. The number of the men was about five thousand, and it came to pass in them. Okay. We'll stop right there. The power of the gospel, even when faced with persecution, they came. Thousands of people were listening. All right, shows five thousand got saved. Thousands of people listened. Thousands of people watched as the rulers, the leaders, the religious men, the people that were in charge of this temple complex came up and arrested these guys for what they were saying. And even then, even in the face of persecution, the gospel had gone forth, and five thousand people were saved. I mean, the power of the gospel is, if you look through history, I wish I had time to take you through like a tour of church history. The biggest growth spurts of the church happened when there was persecution of the church, when people were dying for the faith, when people were being murdered and killed and thrown to the lions and all those kind of things. That's where the church grew the most. And I think it's very instructive. Now, I'm not... I'm not going to be jumping for joy when they start persecuting the church again 
in the future. I mean, I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be killed. I don't want my children to have to go through that. But you cannot deny the fact that when and if that does occur, and it's happening more and more as we see it today, it's moving that direction. I'm not going to say that, you know, they're going to be knocking on your door tomorrow or anything, but you can see how we're, we're being told not to speak out in public square anymore. It's the stuff like that. You can see it moving in that direction. When it does finally get to the point where there's actual sure enough persecution here like there is in other countries right now, um, that's when you'll see the church grow. And I know that doesn't sound, that doesn't even sound right. That sounds strange, but that's the way that it always has been. First of all, I'll tell you one thing. When, when it's going to cost you something, when it's going to cost you, or it could cost you something uh, valuable, to actually walk through that door on a Sunday morning, uh, you're going to see just the true church in attendance. Uh, Joel probably won't have a bigger audience as he does now on that day when, you know, let's say that government officials standing at the door writing your name down, your taxes are going to be double next year if you decide to come. Do what you want to do, but you're going to pay double. Uh, that'll be, that'll be the, only the true church will be the church then. There won't be, you know, we won't have to worry about who's what, you know, and all this stuff because all the ones that really aren't in love with Jesus, they'll, they'll be at home. It's, it costs too much. And so you'll see the church grow, but that's what was going on here. The first persecution came and we're going to see it all through Acts. I mean, it's going to get so bad. They're even going to start killing people. They stoned Stephen in Acts chapter seven. But even then, you're going to see it grow and grow and grow and grow. And so even as thousands of people saw the, the people that they looked up to, the ones they learned from, the ones that ruled them as far as in a religiousness came and, and arrest Peter and John, still 5,000 people, the word of God went forth and the gospel changed their hearts and they became part of, of the church. So for all intents and purposes, you could say in Acts chapter 2, the church was 120 people. In Acts chapter 3, no, in Acts chapter, at the end of Acts chapter 2, the church was 3,120 people. And now it says here men, so it could, you know, in reality be not counting women and children. It could be as many as 15,000 people just in a matter of weeks that the, the church grew. And so the, the, the power of the gospel, that's what, we're gonna, that's what I wanted to show you in the first four verses. The gospel is going to go and do what it is called to do. And that's the important part for you and me in our practical life is you and I don't have to convince anybody, have to argue anybody. You know, we don't have to have the best argument or the, the smartest response or the whatever. All we have to do is give the Word of God. The Word of God changes hearts. The Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does. And if if the Holy Spirit is not working in a person's heart, it doesn't have, matter how smart I am. doesn't matter how eloquently I present the gospel. doesn't matter what kind of reasoned response I give or, or how, how intelligent or, or anything. It doesn't matter because nothing's going to happen. It's a supernatural act of God when the Word of God comes and binds with that heart and changes it. Okay? You understand? So many of us are scared to go and share our faith because... You know, I'm not smart enough. I don't know. What if they ask this question? What if they ask that question? I don't know much enough about it. It's not about that at all. All you do is you go and you, you share. We're going to see it here. John and Peter are going to say, we can't help but share what we've seen and heard. That's all that he's asking you to do. Go and share what you've seen and heard. And the Holy Spirit does the rest. Okay? Understand?
Alright, so that's the power of the gospel. Now we're going to see the power of unbelief in the hearts of men. And that's going to be these religious guys. If you, uh, if you looked at the outline that I put online, I went through and showed you who all these people were. The captain of the temple and the Pharisee and the Sadducee and, uh, and the people. Annas, uh, verse 5, And it came to pass on the morrow, the next day, that the rulers, elders, scribes, Annas, the high priest, uh, Caiaphas and John, Alexander, as many as were as the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. I went through and told who all those people were. I'm not going to do that now, but you can go and read that. These were the highest of the elite. Uh, these were the power brokers of Jerusalem. These were the men who, who, uh, who were, you know, uh, I don't know what would be a good analogy. They were the, they were the top dogs as far as uh, political and religious rulership in Jerusalem. Only people higher than them were the Romans who were actually in charge. And so it says they were brought, Peter and John are not talking to the crowd now. They're not talking to these Jerusalemites. They're not talking to these people. They're talking to the to the, the main religious people in Jerusalem. And it says, When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Now, think about that for a moment. They had healed the, healed the lame man, and they were preaching about uh, Jesus and him, him resurrected. They were asking... How did you do this? What power allowed you to heal this man? And when they say in what name, they're asking what authority. What authority uh, do you come in that gives you the right to come and stand up and preach in this temple and, and, and tell people this, this story? You know, remember, these were the same men. It was just a few months earlier that Jesus stood right where Peter and John were standing. I mean, the same council, the same members of the council, the same place. And you remember what happened? They convicted him and executed him, sent him to Pilate and then the whole thing. So imagine what's going through Peter and John's mind. I mean, we know the rest of the story. They let him go and everything's good. But as Peter and John stood there in front of them, they were probably thinking, this is it. You know, look, Jesus was right here two months ago and they killed him. And we're next. You know, we've, we're, here we are. We're in front of the same council, the same men that killed Jesus, the same men that wanted to stop him from speaking uh, are going to try to stop us from speaking. And so they, they want to know whose name it was that they were preaching. They knew something supernatural had happened. They knew that men who are 40 years old and are crippled from birth don't just get better. You know, they don't, they don't come out, they don't grow out of it, you know, like whatever. And so they knew it was undeniable that something supernatural happened, that something amazing had happened. And they wanted to know by what power and by what authority that, that they were done, that this had happened. What would you be thinking? If you were in Peter and John's position, knowing that these are the same men that condemned their leader, Jesus, their Savior, to die two months earlier and now they were preaching the same message Jesus was preaching in the same place Jesus was preaching and were now in front of the same committee that Jesus was in front of, what would be going through your mind? Huh? I didn't hear you. She said we're in trouble. Oh yeah. You, I'm sure that I mean, you couldn't have helped but thought this is it, we're going to die. I mean, we're going to be killed for our faith, just like Jesus was. Uh, I don't see how it could have been anything else on their mind. They, they would have been killed. We're going, to, we're going to die. And so you would think 
I don't know what I would think. I mean, Peter, I don't know. Let's just read what he did, and then we'll talk about it. You know, we get into our heads, you know, would we die for Christ? You know, everything is as well. Absolutely, sure would. But if I was, I would be thinking about what all Jesus had to go through before he died. I wouldn't want to be beaten. I mean, would I? If I had to go through it for Jesus' name? Yes. But would I want to? No. You know, and pain is not my friend. And I mean, they watched him go through some insurmountable amounts of pain. So, you know, I would be terrified. Just putting myself in their shoes. I'd be I'm sure he was terrified. I'm sure he was. I would be too. I think you're lying if you say you wouldn't be. Right? <laughs> so, Peter, I'm thinking if it was me, I'm like, okay, guys, I'm sorry. But that's not what Peter did. And it wasn't because Peter's so awesome. It says, verse 8 says, Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the change. Now, remember, this is the man who was terrified of the slave girl at Jesus' tribe. Terrified to say, I'm one of him, one of his followers to a slave girl. Here he was standing before the most powerful men in the city with life and death in their hands. So he thought, you know, so they thought for sure. And instead of, you know, instead of denying Jesus like he did, which, I mean, he could have, he could have confessed Jesus to the slave girl and probably nothing would have happened. I mean, a slave girl, you know, three times to people that were not maybe the soldiers around the fire, that probably wouldn't have been a good idea to confess it in front of them. But three times he denied Jesus to people who were pretty much inconsequential. And, but now he's standing before on trial in front of the Sanhedrin, and instead of denying, filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Spirit of God, he speaks more powerfully than he than he's ever done before. And he 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 gives them a speech. And what they want to know, this is what I love about it. What they want to know is how did you do this, and what authority do you have to be doing it? And he takes the opportunity not just to answer their question, but to preach the gospel to them. And to accuse them. I mean, he actually points the finger and says, you crucified him. You killed him. I mean, he doesn't just say, you know, Jesus came as the Messiah and we saw. I mean, he lets them have it. He lets them have it. He says, then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them, you rulers of people and elders of Israel. He says, he gives them a little shot right here. He says, he's, he, the trial is unjust anyway. He says, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. And so you see what he does. He First, he, he, tell, he lets them know that we shouldn't even be in here. This is a fake trial. This is whatever. He said, you are examining, examining us because of a good deed done. I mean, just from a purely religious point of view, if they did actually heal a lame man, the Sanhedrin ought to be thanking them. You know what I mean? Oh, thank you for doing this good deed. You've done a good thing. Yeah, you know. But instead, they're examining them. They're, they're putting them on trial by what authority do you think you have the right to help people? He said, if we're going to be examined for doing a good deed, 
this is, this is how we did it. You let it be known that Jesus Christ, the one that you crucified, the one that God raised from the dead, he is the one that healed this man. He accuses them of murder. Can you imagine? It's powerful. Makes it makes it personal. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. So many people don't like the personal preaching today, do they? They don't like the. They don't like the. When you know me and brother Eddie had this conversation not long ago. It's easy when you stand up and you're given principles. You know. You know God says that you shouldn't. You know. Everybody says amen and it's good. But when you're actually knocking on somebody's door, you know, with with the preaching, like, you know, you're saying you have done this and you have done that. I don't like the way he preaches. I mean, this is but you can see it's the New Testament pattern over and over again. Every sermon Peter has preached up until this point, he said, you've done this. I mean, he pointed the finger at him. You killed this guy. You killed Jesus and God raised him from the dead. The Messiah came to fulfill the promises of God that he had made to the people and made all. He has done all this. And when he got here to give you the promise and give you all these things, the fulfillment of the promise, you murdered him. You know, I mean, so Peter was, he was a finger pointer. He was a preacher that you probably wouldn't want to have in your church. Probably wouldn't have had a, a big following because everywhere he went, he said, you guys have, have done this. You, you sinned against God. And so he made it personal. But every time, every time he did this, people were saved. But this time, we're going to see the power of unbelief in the hearts of these men. They, they don't want to hear it. Uh, he says, you murdered him, but God approved him. God raised him from the dead. You, God sent his son, he sent the Messiah here to fulfill the promises to Israel, to promises to the people, and you killed him. Uh, Jesus is the one that healed this man. Uh, it it, it kind of showed them. Now, think about it. these men were the men who killed Jesus. Who who they in in the Gospels they got together and they said, okay, what are we going to do to stop this? We got to stop this guy because he's teaching and preaching and healing. What are we going? And they came together to conspire to have him killed. You know, and so uh, they thought they were done with Jesus. You know, he crucified him. He's gone. It's all good. And now all of a sudden, these two guys show up in the temple preaching Jesus again. Okay, well, let's go get them. And he says, "How? what authority do you have to do this? What power? He said, Jesus is the power that we... What he's saying is, look, Jesus is still working. <laughs> you guys killed him. God raised him from the dead. But he's still ministering. He's still healing. He's still preaching. The gospel's still going forth. Can you imagine what they thought? They were like, man, I thought we were done with this Jesus stuff. I thought we were through with this. But it was still going forth. They, they thought they had squashed it. Um, what verse are we on now? Anybody have any questions? Anything you want to say? Okay. He says, this is how this man has stand before you whole. And then Peter does something that he's done in his previous two sermons as well. He brings in the scripture. He's, he quote, this dumb fisherman is quoting the scripture to these scribes and elite religious guys. He says, verse 11 says, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. That word stone is, means the cornerstone, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no name, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you may be saved. You must be saved. He quotes, that's Psalm 118.22. And over and over again, more than one time in the Old Testament, the Messiah is called the cornerstone. And more than one time in the New Testament, the New Testament authors quote that cornerstone verse and apply it to Jesus. So what they're doing is 
What they're doing is they're saying, they're saying, he's saying the same thing to these religious leaders that he was to the people. He's saying this is the fulfillment that God has promised ever since the days of Isaiah and the days of David and the days of Solomon and all these promises that stem all the way back from the Old Testament. This morning in the early service, uh, I preached from Hosea chapter 2 and I showed uh, conclusively that even from that text in Hosea, he was talking about, there were talking about Jesus and the fulfillment of the promise in him. And so all these Old Testament passages pointed forward to what Christ would do. And so Peter takes this text and he says, look, you guys are the religious rulers of the city. You're the ones that are ruling the temple in charge of all this stuff. You're the, you're the high, you're the high, you know, the men on the top of the ladder. These promises that were made to our people, to our kin, to to the people of God, they were fulfilled in Jesus. And when he came to fulfill the promises, you killed him. You murdered him. And so they quote this and then they say something amazing. You know, these guys are thinking, look, we thought we were done with all this Jesus. And he says, now, now that, that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, now that he has died and he has risen from the grave, there's no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. Now, think about what he's saying. He's talking to the religious leaders, the elite, the temple rulers, saying your sacrifices won't work anymore. Your temples won't work anymore. Your position, your leadership, your rituals, your all that won't work anymore. The only thing, the only name, remember they asked, in what name are you doing it? The name that we're doing it in is the only one that's given whereby men must be saved. He says, they're telling them, look, this Jesus that you thought you were rid of is is not gone. He's still ministering. He's still healing. Look, the guy was standing right there with him. He says, he's still healing. And not only that, his name has been exalted to the point, to the fact that there is no other way to be saved. Your councils, your temples, your rituals, your none of that matters anymore. Jesus is the only name under heaven whereby you must be saved. Now, what do you think? That's the same sermon that he has preached to twice before. Pentecost and then in the temple complex. And both times the reaction was salvation. Uh, maybe not everybody in the crowd, but thousands for sure in both times. So here, what would you expect? You would expect... I mean, I don't know. If, if I was... You, you, you want to say... I mean, surely they would get the message that they've killed this man and yet he's still doing miracles. I mean, he's still doing... They couldn't deny the miracle. They couldn't refute what Peter was saying. It says, says, verse uh, 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They were amazed at the fact that these guys were so bold And that he had just, I mean, he was quoting Old Testament prophecy to them, showing them where they were wrong. And he was just some dumb fisherman. He says, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against him. They didn't have any, they didn't have any response. They didn't have any uh, way to refute what Peter had said. They didn't have... 
you know, they didn't have anything that they could say that would deny what Peter had said, that would disprove what Peter had said, uh, or disprove that this man was actually healed because he was standing right there with them. They didn't have anything. They couldn't deny it. They couldn't refute him. Um, and this is another this is another point that illustrates what we said earlier. Uh, these men were the the greatest scholars, religious scholars at the time. There was nobody that supposedly knew more about God than these men. They were the priests, the scribes, the elders. It, it told us all that at the beginning. They were men who spent their lives studying the scriptures to know what they said, to know. They were charged with being an intermediary for men would come to seek them in order to seek God. They knew all about it. And yet this dumb fisherman filled with the Holy Ghost was able to silence them just with the simple preaching of the gospel. And so we see the power of God's word. You and I don't have to be the smartest. We don't have to have all the answers. You know, it's, it's perfectly fine for somebody to ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. It's perfectly fine for, you know, for you, for you to just know what has happened to you and know what God has done for you. And that's all you're called to do. I think it was Spurgeon who said, that the word of God is, is like a caged lion. You know, when someone comes to attack, I don't have to defend the lion. All I have to do is let him out of the cage. You know, and he does all the work. You know, and so the word of God itself does all the work. The word of God itself is the one who, uh, is the one who changes hearts. It reminds me of you, kind of. Because you were all, weren't you the one with the Zeitgeist movie and all that kind of stuff? Now, so Cicely was, tell me about it. Was Crystal the one that was talking to you about? If you don't know, the Zeitgeist movie is just like a, it's, well, tell, tell us what it is. Just tell kind of how, how you came to faith in Christ. About that or about the movie? Oh, no, no, I don't care about the movie. Oh, okay. But just how, it wasn't, it wasn't some big smart guy that came and convinced you, was it? No. Because that's the problem is you think you have it all figured out. And to, to say that you're going to trust in, in God and trust in Christ is to say I don't have it all figured out and that you don't have all the answers. And that's hard for somebody who thinks that they do. You know, it's really hard to let go of that. Yeah. And give it all up, you know. Yeah. So I remember Crystal would text me and say, how do I answer this? How do I answer that? And, you know, after about... You know, after about 40 texts or whatever, I'm like, you're not going to be able to learn everything that you need to know in order to be smart enough to convince. You just go and you tell them what happened to you. I mean, you can't spend a lifetime trying to study other stuff so you'll be able to answer it. You just preach the Word of God, speak the Word of God, give them the Word of God, and God's, God's Word changes hearts. If I can talk you into something, somebody smarter than me, come on, talk you out of it. Just as easy. You see what I mean? Zeitgeist. Zeitgeist is German. It means spirit of the times. It's, it, it, it's, it compares the Bible's accounts with mythology and, you know, how saying that it got it from different places. It's really, to study those things, it's really easily refuted. It's just kind of ridiculous. But it has got 
I mean, it has a hold on popular culture who is, you know, doesn't, they don't, they don't teach that kind of stuff in history class anymore, you know, about Osiris and Dionysus and all this kind of thing. Huh? That's the only movie I saw in German, Gospel. Okay. All right, so. The power, just because I'm a happy guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the they uh the level of unbelief, verse 17, and then we'll be, we'll be done. Is it time to go yet? Yeah, we gotta hurry up. It says they could not deny it; they could say nothing against it. So, verse 15 says, "But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying." What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Now, think about this for a moment. How irrational do you have to be? We can't refute what Peter said. We can't deny that the miracle has taken place. But still they hold on to their unbelief because they don't want to lose their power. They don't want to lose their position. They don't want to lose their authority. It's a perfect picture of salvation. What Sicily said, you don't want to, don't want to admit that you don't understand or that you don't have the answers or that you're not in control. They wanted to retain their control. It was as simple as that. And so even though they knew that it had happened... They knew that they couldn't refute Peter. They could not deny it. It says, verse 17, but that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. But their table is turned. Yeah, that's true. They were now afraid that this would spread. So it doesn't matter that it's true. We just want it to stop. Because if it keeps going, we're going to lose our stuff. You know what I mean? We're going to lose our position, our power, our whatever. Doesn't matter if we can't prove it wrong. Uh, that's one of the questions I always ask people. If, if you were wrong about what you believe, would you want to know? Um, it, it's, a, it's, kind of a, it's an easy question, but it's a hard question. Because uh, if someone walked up to me and said, if, I'm not talking about, you are wrong. I'm not saying you are wrong, but I'm saying if you were wrong, would you want to know? And no matter no matter who you are, what you believe, or how firmly you believe it, even myself, if somebody came up and said, if, no matter how big the if is, but if you were wrong, would you want to know? I'd have to say, yeah, I think I would want to know if I was wrong. But I've met people that said, nope, I want to know. I mean, I've met people uh, in, in the hospital rooms of other religions, and I said, before I go, let me just ask, if you were wrong about all that, would you want to know? They would say, nope. <laughs> that is amazing to me. It's like, you think about that for a while. If you were wrong, I'm talking about if now. I'm not saying you're wrong. I mean, that's why I'll make sure I tell them. I'm saying if, no matter how big an if that is, but if you're wrong, would you want to know? Nope. Okay. If they, if they but that's exactly what they didn't want to do. They couldn't deny it. They couldn't refute it. But they said, okay, let's just shut it up. Let's just stop it. We just have to show how deep the pod goes. Definitely. That we want to hold on to what we have. We want to hold on to control. We want to hold on to our goodness. We want to hold on to our position that we think we have. And it doesn't matter if you're right. 
It doesn't matter if it's true. When today we go into service, Brother Eddie will be preaching. He'll talk about righteousness and justice and gospel and mercy and condemnation and all those things that we always talk about. And there'll be people listening. Doesn't matter. Yes, he's right. Okay, fine. You're right. I don't care. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving it up because I'm not going to lose my position. I'm not going to lose my authority of my own life. I'm not going to give up control. And that's exactly what they were doing. They said, what we're going to do is we're just going to tell them to shut up. And so when they did, verse 18 says, They called them, commanded them not to speak at all, teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered unto them, and I love this. He says, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, you judge. So what is he saying right there when he says that? They are the judges of Israel. They're supposed to be judging. So he says, okay, judge this. He says, you've given us a command. Don't preach in his name. He said, whether it's right for us to obey you or obey God, you just judge for yourself. What's he saying? He's telling them that the command that they've given him goes directly against God's command. So, it's almost like he's saying, put that in your pipe and smoke it. He's like, okay, you have just told us to defy the living God. I mean, these were the men who were supposed to be leading people to God. You've just told us to defy God. So, you're the judges of Israel. You go ahead and be the judge. You judge whether we should obey you or obey God. One of the two. We can't do both. And then he says... But for we cannot, we cannot, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they kept on threatening them. They let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. Remember, there's thousands outside. And so he says, for all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shown. And so you see, you, it was like, this is the truth. This is the gospel. And they were saying, well, just stop doing it anyway. Stop preaching it anyway. You're, you're, you're causing us trouble. And he says, don't you guys see that y'all are, you are commanding us to deny God and to disobey God. You're supposed to be the ones leading people to God. God has given the promise, the Messiah, and now you're commanding people, you're commanding us to deny and disobey God and follow you instead of God. And then they still kept threatening them. It says, look, we can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. And then it says they threatened them some more. Understand that you don't have to be an expert in all things biblical in order to be a witness for Christ. He says, look, what we're going to do, we're just going to keep speaking about the things that we've seen and the things that we've heard. All you have to do is tell people what you've seen and what you've heard. Remember, their power came from the fact that the rulers looked down and they said they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That was where the power came from. It wasn't from their knowledge or their wonderful intellect or their wonderful speaking ability or anything like that. Just a few few months earlier, Peter was cowering in a corner, afraid to speak. And here, because of the Holy Spirit, because of what Christ did in his heart, he was bold. He, he was fearless. He was speaking to them as an equal, not as some dumb fisherman. They thought they were going to, uh, they thought they were going to frighten him into submission. Uh, and what happened was he said, look, I, 
I, I can't stop telling what I've seen and, and what I've heard. And so they let them, they let them go. Uh, they feared the crowd and they wanted to hold on to their own possessions. So on two hands, this is the point. On two sides, you see number one, you see the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel in Peter's life that changed him from this cowering, sniveling, little scaredy cat the night Jesus was murdered or tried to this powerful preacher in the face of the the highest court in the land who refused to bow down and refused to be afraid. Uh, And you see the power of the gospel that changed people's hearts even when persecution of the church was going on. And then on the other hand, you see the power of unbelief of these Pharisees, that these, these Sanhedrin, when they all but knew that this was true. They couldn't deny what Peter said, couldn't refute the miracle, couldn't find any way to say that, Peter, you're wrong, you've mistaken you. They could not deny the truth of any of this, but yet because of their pride, because of their, you know, their own refusing to humble themselves, they still wanted it stopped. They still wanted it gone. They still wanted it squashed. So understand, you have two, you have two very strong powers right there that are, that are in people's hearts. And the only way that these, that, that, the only way that the power of unbelief and that pride can be conquered is by the power of the gospel. We're going to see here in, in the book of Acts as we go forward that some of these same leaders, some of these same Pharisees, some of these same priests and religious leaders uh, are going to come to faith in Jesus before the, before the book of Acts is done. Is there any questions? The lesson that we get from this for your life today, all you have to do is speak about what you've seen and heard. You don't have to worry about, am I saying the right things, doing the right things, am I smart enough, am I whatever. That's not your job. Your job is to be the witness of what you've seen and what you've heard, what Jesus has done in your life. Understand? Okay. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you for this lesson. We ask that you'd be with us as we go into, uh, into service.